Stand by. Hello and welcome to the Lackadaisical Libricubicularist. And now your host, Jordan Maywood. Hello, welcome to the Librocube. My name is Jordan Maywood, and I am the Lackadaisical Librocubicularist. Today, within the Librocube is Television Tuesday. Sometimes, for brevity's sake, I will refer to it as TV Tuesday. Someday, I will explain that fact. Some days, I will explain that very fact, which makes the brevity pretty much pointless. <laughs> Something I like to say at the top of every show, and I think it will be very, very important on this one, is that there will be spoilers. Very, very much so in this episode in particular. So, this is your one and only spoiler warning. People, I cannot stress that enough. It has been stressed near to the breaking point. Next, I would like to say, as I often do, that if you like what you hear, the only payment I ask is a million dollars. No, that is ridiculous. The only payment I ask is perhaps... You pass the podcast on to a friend. Perhaps you subscribe, rate, and comment on iTunes. That would be kind of you. And I would love you forever. Last piece, I guess, of podcast-related midness is, of course, today's sponsor. Which is... Bluth's Original Frozen Banana Stand. Once again, today's sponsor is Bluth's Original Frozen Banana Stand, which of course leads us into today's very, very special TV Tuesday. You may have noticed, if you are a regular listener, that right off the bat, this episode sounds a little different. That is because I am not recording while driving today. I am recording on my d Monday day off. Oh, a little behind the scenes. That's why I say, uh, just as a FYI, that within the Librocube, it is TV Tuesday. But um, without the Librocube, it is Monday, and I have it off. Yay that. What I have done is yesterday, 90% yesterday and a little bit, and just a little bit on Saturday, I have watched the entire fourth season of Arrested Development. Yes, I am a madman, but it was well worth it. Uh, if you are unaware, Arrested Development Season 4 is sort of a very special event in that the first three seasons were regular television. Well, regular in the sense that they were on TV, as regular shows are. Uh, irregular in that it was a very, very good and funny and strange show. Hmm. Uh, however, with Season 4, something that I don't think has ever been done before has been done which is, uh, it is available on Netflix, and Netflix alone. Uh, not only that, but I think very, very smart on the part of Netflix, they have released the entire Season 4 in one go. Smart because I enjoy, as they call it now, binge-watching, and watching shows like this just not exactly in one sitting. Well, in two sittings I did it. But sort of all at once, without having to wait an entire year for a season. In the case of Arrested Development Season 4, I will say that this fact is not only nice, but necessary, because 
If you were to watch the show as a regular TV show over the course of the year, uh, it would be difficult just because there's so many ins and outs and uh, intertwined stories and timelines that it would be very, very difficult to do so, I think. Okay, so with that said, I guess, why don't I jump right in to um, talking about episodes. 15 of them, in fact. Okay, so here we go. Now the story of a wealthy family who lost everything and the one son who had no choice but to keep them all together. It's Arrested Development. Ah, the Blue Family. Uh, I think I didn't really plan this out too far in advance. Uh, I think since very rare, or actually I was going to say very rarely, but never I have the opportunity to do a podcast with the internet in front of me. Normally I'm driving. Why don't I sort of take advantage of that and just for the, the for the expediency of you knowing the characters I am talking about, in case you haven't watched this or do not plan to watch it, uh, why don't I read the sort of Wikipedia entry for the main characters and see what that does us? Huh? Huh? It makes sense. It does. Don't deny it. The plot of Arrested Development revolves around the members of the Blue family who lead extravagant lifestyles and are also often drawn into interactions with incestuous undertones. Uh, at the center of the show is Michael Bluth, played by Jason Bateman. The show's quote-unquote straight man, who strives to do the right thing and keep his family together, despite their materialism, selfishness, and manip manipulative natures. Uh, Michael is a widowed single father. His teenage son, George Michael, played by Mr. Michael Sarah, has the same qualities of decency, but feels a constant pressure to live up to his father's expectation, expectations, and is often reluctant to follow his father's plans. Michael's father, George Bluth Sr., played by Mr. Jeffrey Tambor, is the patriarch of the family. He often goes to considerable lengths to manipulate and control his family. His wife and Michael's mother, Lucille Bluth, played by Miss Jessica Walter, is equally manipulative, materialistic, and hypercritical of every member of her family, as well as being perpetually drunk. Uh, in particular, she has a tight grip on her youngest son, Buster Bluth, played by Mr. Tony Hale, who, as a result of her over-mothering, is unstable, socially inept, and prone to panic attacks. A world-class mama's boy. Michael's older brother is Gob, G-O-B, played by Mr. Will Arnett, an unsuccessful professional magician whose Business and personal schemes usually fail to be fail or become tiresome and are quickly abandoned. <clears throat> His name is an acronym acronym for George Oscar Bluth II, pronounced Job, like the biblical biblical figure Job, spelt J O B, 
Uh, Michael's twin sister, Lindsay Funke, played by Miss Portia de Rossi, is spoiled and materialistic, continually desiring to be the center of attention and attracted to various social causes. She is married to Tobias Funke, played by Mr. David Cross. A discredited psychiatrist turned aspiring actor, Tobias is a self-diagnosed never-nude whose language and behavior have heavily homosexual overtones to which he seems completely oblivious and which are the center of much tongue-in-cheek comedy throughout the series. Uh, their daughter is Maybe Funke, played by Miss Alia Shawkat, a rebellious teen whose chief motivation is defying her parents. Sneeze! <laughs> I'm allergic to Funkes. Okay, so that's your, your main cast of characters. I think uh, I just sort of briefly viewed this recurring character's a uh, little blurb here as well, which I think could probably be very beneficial as well. Uh, let's find out. Several other characters regularly appear in recurring roles. George Sr.'s identical twin brother Oscar, also played by Jeffrey Tambor in Awake, is a lethargic ex-hippie seeking the affection of George's wife Lucille. The family's lawyer, Barry Zuckercorn, played by Mr. Harry Harry, played by Henry Winkler, uh, is an incompetent sexual deviant who often hinders the family's legal battles rather than helping them. He is eventually <laughs> replaced by Bob Loblaw, played by Mr. Scott by Bayo, Lucille Ostero, or as she is called on the show, Lucille Two, is played by Miss Liza Minnelli. She is Lucille's best friend and chief social rival, as well as neighbor. Also, sometimes love interest of Buster and later Gob. Steve Holt, played by Justin Grant Wade, is a high school senior and a football star at the school George Michael and maybe attend, and is later discovered to be Gob's son. <laughs> Carl Weathers plays a parodied version of himself as Tobias's acting coach, Beginning in the second season, uh, May Whitman portrays Anne Veal, George Michael's sternly Christian girlfriend, who is often forgettable or disparaged by Michael. Okay, uh, I just sort of briefly glanced ahead a bit, and after Anne Veal, <laughs> last name Veal, does anyone have the last name Veal, I wonder? Anyways, after Anne Veal, the rest of the characters don't so much appear in Season 4, so I will leave them behind and move on to Season 4, Episode 1. Titled, Flight of the Phoenix. Oh, I should say something they kind of did interesting is that each episode will pick one of the main characters to be the episode main character and sort of follow them around. So rather than see what everyone is doing at once in one episode, it will be split among multiple episodes. In fact, the whole season, basically. Very, very interesting way to do it. And as I say, something that's kind of only makes sense to do on Netflix, where you can watch... The episodes back to back to back to back to back times 15. Okay, Flight of the Phoenix. Michael says goodbye to the family business and starts his own. 
so the Bluth family has sort of a bit of an empire, primarily real estate, um, primarily shady dealings. In fact, uh, we learned that that George Sr. built model home, not model homes, but homes for uh, Saddam Hussein, for example, uh, the same homes that he has sort of embezzled money from. So he was in prison for... Uh, most of the first three seasons. Uh, Michael Bluth is sort of constantly, was constantly saying, that's it, I've had enough of this family, I'm out of here. Uh, never really followed through. However, uh, the very, very last episode, you kind of got the impression that he was actually going to follow through with his plan of never seeing his family and having zero contact with them again. Um, he does not follow through, because that would be a pretty boring season four if... Uh, he did. Hmm. Yes. Uh, the episode starts out uh, with Michael living in the dorm room of his with his son George Michael at the University of Phoenix. Uh, I guess because he was the sort of uh, president of the Bluth Company, and since he left, is having a little trouble finding work in what was today's economy when this was supposed to be taking place. Yeah, for sure. In this episode, we also sort of learn one of the main backstories, and that is that Michael has borrowed $700,000 from Lucille Two, who I mentioned, uh, in order to finally finish um, Sudden Valley Homes. Uh, in the first three seasons... The Bluth family had created a model home, and the model home was designed to sell off all the other homes in the subdivision that had not yet been built. And this sort of process basically just stalled and nothing ever came of it. But finally, finally, after all these years of hard work, um, all the other homes were built. Huh. So now all they have to do is sell them, which seems like a strange way to go about it. I thought you sold these homes not after they were built, but sort of as they were being built. Hmm. Fortunately, some of the things this uh, subdivision has going against it are that there are no roads currently going towards it from um, town. <laughs> so that's problematic. It has no internet yet. Um, yeah, just pretty, pretty, pretty bad. Uh, this episode basically ends with... George Michael, his roommate, as well as his cousin and his father having a vote to decide uh, who should be kicked out of the dorm. Unfortunately for Michael, it is him. This uh, In the previous three episodes, Michael and George Michael were very close, spent a lot of time together and therefore on screen. However, this season, very, very, I guess because after this happened, you don't see them together very often. Uh, sort of a split between them. Kind of sad. Hmm. Let's move on to episode two. This is a George Sr. episode called Borderline Personalities. George Sr. comes up with a get-rich-quick scam after his family falls apart. Uh, George's scam is sort of twofold. Uh, the, the main, I guess, kind of underlying scam that 
uh, is featured throughout season four is that his twin brother Oscar owns land between uh, the U.S. and Mexico and wants to sell this land to the government who's going to build a giant wall. A great wall, you could even say. Uh, the other part of his scam, which I guess is sort of just in the interim or to build up funds, I guess, is he has, <laughs> I like this, he has a sweat lodge, and what he will do is bring in, like, high-powered executives and just basically rich people to this sweat lodge and sweat them out, maybe give them a little uh, drugs, peyote-type drugs, and then, once they're all sort of super dehydrated, they w he will sell them lemonade. <laughs> now, that sounds ridiculous, right? However, he's selling his lemonade at $10,000 a glass because his first experience in a sweat lodge, he comes out and is like, oh, Jesus, I'd pay $10,000 for a sip of lemonade. Sure, makes as much sense as anything on this crazy, crazy show. Uh, in... George Sr.'s sort of depression as he comes across his twin brother, his hippie-like twin brother, I mentioned. Um, he, Oscar, Oscar Bluth, is sort of kind of a member of a mini-commune and is basically just living off this land and doing drugs and having their sweats. <laughs> uh, there are three other members of his, let's call it, hippie clan... One is a doctor, or perhaps former doctor is more accurate, who is sort of super, super heavily medicated, acid, peyote, blood-infused guy. Uh, another is a sash, let's call her a sassy Asian woman. And lastly is, this one was funny, um, it was a girl who didn't talk, she had the ability to talk, but didn't talk. Rather, used sort of her uh, aura, her body, to get across her words. <laughs> Something they did, I've never seen anything like it before, obviously, was that she would just sort of make faces to indicate what she meant. However, the show would subtitle these faces. So underneath her face... Uh, was always what she was trying to say, and sometimes it would match with what people thought she was trying to say, sometimes it wouldn't. Uh, just very, very well done from the standpoint of a form of comedy I have never seen and literally did not exist <laughs> before they created this character. Uh, during this process of uh, George Sr. and Oscar f basically fleecing these rich folk, uh, what'll happen is Oscar will go into the sweat lodge with them. When they come out, they'll switch places, so it seems as if he's had sort of no effect from the sweats, the sweat lodges. Uh, so the process of that, and then they're sort of constantly taking... What is... They call it something else, but it sounds like peyote. Uh, Oscar and George, their sort of personalities start to blur and switch between one another. So, well, I'll just say eventually it's almost as if uh, Oscar becomes George and George becomes Oscar, which will bring us to 
the end of that episode, and we'll move on to the next one, which is a Lindsay Bluth episode called Indian Takers. Uh, Lindsay tries to reclaim her sense of self while traveling and getting back to her political activist roots. Oh, I, I should just say what I've done is printed off the Netflix description of each episode, and then sort of as watching them, maybe wrote down the odd uh, note here and there. I thought it would make sense, and so far, I hope, anyways, it is making sense. Man. Uh, so this episode starts off in the Mountain Mall in India. Basically, it's sort of an open-air bazaar in India on the top of a mountain. Lindsay <laughs> is not the sharpest knife in the drawer. She's, like, looking at purses, uh, obviously, like, knockoff purses and stuff like that. She sees a purse. The vendor tell her, tells her it's the greatest purse on the entire mountain. She's reluctant to buy her. Uh, another person comes up and just starts screaming, I want this purse, I'll give you $100, which immediately starts off a bidding war with Lindsay, who refuses to lose any sort of competition, especially one involving shopping. <laughs> the, the, the guy saying, the guy betting against her is obviously working for uh, the vendor, even to the point where uh, one, one of the times this happens again, the guy's... The guy who's betting against her is holding a mirror up for her to look in to see one of the things she wants to buy. So she is uh, sort of trying to find herself, I think, as a way to look at this, what she's doing in India. Uh, comes across a shaman who tells her basically to go back, find her love that she left behind, which is her husband, Tobias. Uh, they basically get back together. Yeah, for the most part, this is uh, Tobias and Lindsay are probably one of the strangest couples you will ever see in your entire life. Basically, uh, they decide the first sort of step into this is to getting their own place together. Uh, this uh, they filmed this uh, season four, I guess, sort of from the point of view that it was like it's not filmed as if it was today it's more slightly in the past i think like uh mid 2000s sort of more during the housing crash which i don't know maybe that's still going on anyways uh they're sort of talked into coerced into buying a giant mansion despite having no jobs no prospects for jobs just the, from the sounds of it uh banks wanted to get people in debt, which is what they did to these two. Uh, so they're sort of entrenched in this house, living together in this giant sort of monstrosity with no furniture. Um, and Lindsay, in a, I guess, sort of an effort to spend time with her husband, maybe get to know a little what he does on a regular basis, decides to join him in an acting class. An acting class. The acting class is called Method 1, is called the Method 1 Clinic. Hmm. Tobias um, is oblivious to a lot of things. For example, it is not the Method 1 Clinic for acting, it is the Methadone Clinic that he's been going to. Um, so at least he has fun while he's there doing his Methadone. Hmm, yes. Uh, another thing about this couple is that they're sort of constantly, more so Lindsay, I think, uh, constantly on the prowl for 
um, cheating on one another. <laughs> so while at the, the methadone clinic, Lindsay runs off with a man who's got sort of a homeless vibe to him. Uh, also, his sort of strange characteristic, because basically everyone on this show has one very, very strange characteristic or another. Uh, his is that he is face-blind, so he can see you. He can sort of make out that you have a mouth and a nose and eyes, but other than that, is face blind, <laughs> hence the name. So he can't distinguish faces, which uh, for some reason I think I may have actually heard of that before. Uh, Tobias, on the other hand, runs off with this face blind's girlfriend. <laughs> so they went on a double date, basically, to a restaurant. I should just, while I'm there, a restaurant where they did not accept money, just things on the sort of barter system. Uh, so this this woman played by Maria Bamford, who's very, very funny in real life, a stand-up comedian, and was very, very funny on this, no less. She was basically a drug addict, hence the methadone clinic. Huh, there you go. Okay, so the newly reunited Tobias and Lindsay split apart, which will lead us to the next episode, why doesn't it? Uh, this is a Michael episode. Michael is presented with a new business opportunity that could change his life. Unfortunately, he needs his family to sign off. Ah, yes. Okay, so this is another one of the sort of underwriting stories for the entire season. Uh, Ron Howard, yes, that one, the Ron Howard, wants to make a movie about the Bluth family because, as you can imagine... Crazy rich people with lots of scandal in their lives are going to be in the news. So Ron Howard has seen this and thinks that their sort of family life story would make for an interesting movie. Uh, the catch, of course, uh, is that he goes to Michael and needs Michael to get every one of his relatives to sign off to let him make this movie. Uh, some family members are going to obviously be easier than others to get this uh, signature, but he's got to give it a try. He ends up dating, uh, in this episode, a girl by the name of Rebel, who is Ron Howard's illegitimate daughter. Ooh, that could be a little monkey wrench, could it not? I don't know. Let's move on to... I should speed up a bit. Uh, episode, a Tobias episode, yes, called A New Start. Tobias searches for meaning after splitting with Lindsay, only to find that old habits die hard. This episode starts with, uh, Tobias dressed as the thing from Fantastic Four going to a house that he is sort of unaware, uh, they are filming a... I'm going to say to catch a predator, although they had to use a different name, obviously. <laughs> so he pops in and thinks his daughter maybe is going to be in this house where they are filming this to catch a predator as he is dressed as the thing from Fantastic Four and sort of yells out, uh, I didn't write it down, but something along the lines of, where's my little girl? Daddy needs to get his rocks off. Uh, I think that is what it was. Yeah, that wasn't good for him. Um, so from that Lindsay episode, Indian Takers, and this episode, A New Start, they're sort of intertwined with one another, but you get to see Tobias's side of things. 
so for example, when Lindsay sort of ran off with the face blind guy, you didn't see what was happening with Tobias and his drug-addicted girl, played by Maria Bamford, who I mentioned. One of the things that Tobias was confused about in this situation, as he is almost always confused about many things, is that he thought uh, the Maria Bamford character was an actress. Like, he is a actor. So, which uh, she kind of was. She was in a Fantastic Four. There you go. Like, a sort of low-budget version of that movie. So they decided they would sort of go out on the streets dressed as these characters to make some money. However, uh, the owners of the sort of Fantastic Four intellectual property did not like this fact and sued and arrested them and blah, blah, blah. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, so that'll take us to the next episode, which is a George Sr. episode called Double Crossers. George Sr.'s new business hits a rough patch, and he must bribe a politician to get his scam back on track. So, uh, the politician in question is played by Mr. Terry Crews, who, if you Google, I am sure you will recognize. Friggin' giant guy. Uh... What did he do? Old Spice commercials, too? He was in The Expendables. Just a friggin' giant of a man. So he's, he needs this politician to uh, give the go-ahead for this U.S.-Mexico wall. Uh, because once he does that, then the government will have to buy this land off him. And he will make a shit ton of money. Hmm. Uh, this is sort of where we learn that... Uh, I did mention that George's brother Oscar is a hippie and does a lot of drugs. So those two facts sort of combined lead to the realization that they do not actually own the land uh, on the U.S.-Mexico border at all. Hmm. Which is not good. So they have to get uh, Terry Crews to sort of change his mind and say, no, he's anti-wall now. Uh, Also in this episode, George is given a curse by a shaman. Uh, Drug-induced curse, perhaps? We don't know at this point. Which sort of furthers George and Oscar's sort of transformation into one another. So whereas, so George becomes sort of a little, almost pacifistic and... uh, and just not very good businessman due to his pacificity. Whereas Oscar, who usually was basically an idiot, starts to kind of figure things out a bit and starts to uh, manipulate others towards his goals. Hmm. Next is uh, our first Gob episode called Colony Collapse. Gob, or Job if you prefer, finds a new group of friends after his relationship falls apart and his family abandons him. Hmm. <laughs> this episode starts with uh, Job hanging out with basically an entourage, almost very, very similar to the entourage, including, oh, I like this. I thought he was going to have a bigger part. I wish he did. Mr. Ben Swartz. Yes, Ben Swartz, who... I have repeatedly said on podcasts again and again, will be the next big thing in comedy. Uh, had a part in this big thing of comedy. Hmm? Point proven, perhaps? P-p-p-p? 
Uh, oh, you know what? Just sort of on that note, this uh, entire season four just had a crazy amount of uh, com- comedians, actors in sort of every single role, small to large, would be uh, an actor or comedian that you will recognize. It was, it was pretty amazing how many names just sort of popped up. So we learned that uh, Job and Anne Veal are engaged. What? Uh, at their wedding, because he is a magician, doesn't want to let that opportunity go, go to waste, decides that he's going to lock himself in a cave, sort of a la Jesus, and then be resurrected, although not in three days. Any Jesus could do that. No, he's going to do it in 20 days. His trick goes awry, and he is stuck in a storage locker, then discovered by a sort of uh, television show, a sort of Storage Wars type show, find him in there. And he is alive, and not well. Oh yes, speeding up, almost forgot. Okay, next is a Lindsay episode called Red Herring. Uh, Lindsay continues to push away from being a bluth by embracing a relationship and finding a new career. So she, despite uh, her, I guess, boyfriend now, uh, despite his face blindness, she really wants to try to make it work. For some reason. Uh, this guy is... She's got a horrible taste in men, usually. But this guy uh, doesn't believe in money. Lives with his mother in a sort of trailer. Uh, is a bit of a activist. Which what is sort of attracting her to him. And uh, perhaps a bit of an anarchist as well. So kind of a, a bad boy, if you will. Which she's a big fan of. His plan is to set off a bomb for that politician played by Terry Crews. However, it's going to be a glitter bomb. Hmm. Because he doesn't believe in violence. He's still got some hippie-like qualities in him, I guess. So, this bomb goes off. There's a bit of a glitch in that uh, it doesn't actually uh, explode in the politician's face, rather in Lindsay's boyfriend's face. So he is covered in glitter and blue paints. He basically blew himself as Lindsay's husband, Tobias, was known to do from time to time. Mm. Uh, This was one part that I wrote it down and then couldn't quite remember, even right as writing it down, how it came about. But the poly... Oh, yeah, no, I do remember. So I'm not sure if we learned at this point or not. Maybe it was um, later. But uh, the, the politician who was basically dating slash paying for Lindsay because thought she was a prostitute, uh, ends up in a coma. He was basically, well, we don't know at this point, I don't think, how it happened. Basically, he was hit by Buster. Let's just say that. Um, So his sort of, I guess, campaign manager decides that Lindsay would fit the role of running just as well as Terry Crews would. So she decides to run for... Oh, shit, what was it? Was it governor? Let's just say governor. That's as as good as any. Okay, so that'll bring us to uh, episode... A Tobias episode called Smashed. Tobias returns to his roots and reunites with his leading lady after a rough few weeks. Oh, um, so after Tobias was on the To Catch a Predator shoe... 
uh, despite being innocent, was still arrested and is now a registered sex offender. <laughs> uh, part of his um, court-ordered work is going back to his uh, sort of therapist roots. His analyst, therapist, or analropist. Uh, so he is in a sort of, a, I suppose, a booby hatch, nut house. Probably not the correct terms, but he's there. And meets up with his druggy, invisible girl girlfriend and wants to sort of kick it off with her again. So how does he do this? Well, of course, he decides that the best way to do this will be to stage a musical within the uh, rehab, uh, a musical based on Fantastic Four. Because he didn't learn from that the first time. Uh, just a final note on that episode, one of the um, residents of this rehab clinic is played by Andy Richter. Somehow, <laughs> within... The Arrested Developed Universe. There exists an Anna, Andy Richter. Yes, there does here too. However, within this universe, Andy Richter is one of a set of quintuplets. Identical quintuplets. So, he'll pop in from time to time playing one of these uh, various quintuplets. This is sort of the strangest one in that they'll sometimes show pictures of the, f of the five of them together. And uh, this particular quintuplet does not like his face being seen, so it's always blurred out, <laughs> despite being a identical quintuplet with the other four. Uh-huh. There, my friends, is the comedy. Okay, that'll move us on to a Lucille episode called Queen Bee. Uh, Lucille finds that her children have already started divvying up her things and adjust to her new home. Okay, uh, Lucille was sort of on the hook for some of the family's shady doings. Yeah, that's a good way to put it as any. So she was in prison <laughs> for, uh, I think it was two to four years, something like that. Uh, she ended up basically running kind of one of the gangs, the Asian gang, within this prison. And when I say prison, it's one of those kind of uh, country club, club type prisons where... Like, they have masseuses. All the, the the guards are sort of almost as if they're working in a hotel rather than a prison. Uh, one of the things she does to get out of this, as she, of course, knowing her personality, starts to piss off people in this prison, uh, fears reprisal, so decides that her only way out is to join Tobias's play, his Fantastic Four musical, uh, as sort of a work release in her case. Hmm. She, as mentioned, is a bit of an alcoholic, so that's how she she uses that fact to uh, get sent to where Tobias is doing his uh, rehab clinic work. Uh-huh, uh-huh, all coming together. Uh, next episode is a gob. I would say gob, because it's like an acronym, so... But it's actually Job, but why wouldn't you spell it J-O-B, like in the Bible? I don't know. Uh, Job accepts a job from his brother, but is distracted by a scheme of his own. Uh, his scheme involves uh, fellow magician Tony Wonder, who's played by Mr. Ben Stiller. Uh, Tony Wonder, I guess in an effort to get a larger magician audience, 
uh, pretends to be gay. Huh. So uh, a lot of his magic tricks and illusions <laughs> sort of revolve around that. Uh, revolve around that fact, such as coming out of the closet. <laughs> uh, Job wants to disprove his gayness. So, of course, what does he do? He uh, comes on to him and tries to get him to go out on dates and fall in love with him. Uh, the, the job that Michael has given him is to try to sell off all the houses in Sudden Valley because they're sitting empty and not making any money. So, who could he sell these houses to? Houses where no one lives, there's no internet, there's no schools, um, very private. Well, he ends up selling them uh, after sort of a, a lightning bolt, after an idea from Tobias to uh, sell, or is it rent? I think actually rent. Rent them to registered sex offenders. So all the registered sex offenders Sex offenders come to live there. This episode also had a <laughs> a, 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 a <laughs> every once in a while, uh, Job and Michael will have a sort of a full out fight. This one <laughs> was good because it took place in a sort of kids uh, play place slash sort of ball room. You know, one of those rooms where there's like a ball pit where you can go in. They crash through a wall though of this play place uh, and end up in like a knife store so that's too dangerous so they stop okay next episode is a maybe episode called senioritis senioritis <laughs> maybe moves out on her own and reconnects with her cousin george michael Oh, uh, George Michael and maybe have a little bit of a sort of incestuous relationship vibe kind of going throughout this entire series. Um, they're not actually related, though, so there's that. Uh, she wins the Lifetime Achievement, the, oh yeah, it was the Ron Howard Lifetime Achievement Award. She, since the age of... I forget it was 15 or 17, somewhere in that mark, has been pretending to be a, a network executive, successfully, I might add. Uh, however, she learns that the Lifetime Achievement Award is only sort of given to people who are dead, dying, or their careers are over. So she decides it's time to call it quits, as far as Hollywood goes, and she goes back to high school, <laughs> despite now being in her 20s, uh, and stays in high school for years, continually not graduating. She is, despite, she, you know what, I, I just realized, she is the sort of definition of street smart, with almost zero book smarts whatsoever, and yet is very, very successful, so hey different strokes she ends up um sort of using a invention of george michael to uh start a company yeah so george michael uh this might as well move on to the next episode it's called a it's a george michael and maybe episode yeah so it makes sense to do these together it's called it gets better uh, at UC Irvine, things get steamy when George Michael finds himself in a love triangle with his best friend Ray 
and his girlfriend, Becky. I don't actually remember that part of it. Not a great description from Netflix, because the episode didn't really focus on that. Uh, So what happened with George Michael is he is perhaps not attending school with the specific task of becoming a sort of world-class woodblock player. He has within his brain the ability to keep time very, very specifically. So, what better instrument to play than the woodblock? He decides they are going to, he and his roommate, going to create an app for the iPhone that will let you have a sort of wood block in your pocket at all times. Uh, There are already three in existence. However, he is not daunted by this fact and decides to create his own. Um, Most of the names for these apps are taken that he likes, so they end up settling for the app name Fake Block. Um, People think... I forget how it actually came about. But people end up thinking uh, this fake block is sort of a privacy app. Mm, pretty pretty vague, other than privacy app. Uh, George Michael is one of the only honest people on this show. However, his very first sort of lie is about this app and what it does. And because of all this... Bluth family lying ability being pent up over the years, he's able to lie so incredibly successfully about this app that people sort of start to believe he is going to be the next big thing. He's going to be the next Steve Jobs, the next Mark Zuckerberg, um, because of this fake block privacy app that doesn't exist, um, that hasn't been created, that makes very little sense. So uh, maybe sort of latches onto this and they start up a giant company with all the investments that are sort of just pouring in. Uh, This episode also sort of emphasizes how Michael and George Michael have been avoiding one another. They were supposed to meet up for dinner. Uh, Michael calls George Michael with an excuse of why he couldn't meet. The excuse was that a plane sort of inexplicably landed on the freeway. Hmm, so couldn't get through. (laughs) If you're going to make up an excuse, perhaps one not as ridiculous as that would be a good idea, why wouldn't it be on the news? Well, as he explains, it's just the traffic is so bad the news vans can't even get through. So, George Michael, also not wanting to meet, wanting to avoid uses the same excuse along the lines of, yeah, this traffic is brutal, you're right, I can't get through either. So, (laughs) kind of know at that point that they're both... So then uh, Michael kind of knows from that point that his son is avoiding him. Okay, episode 14 is called... Oh, is a buster episode. Only one buster. Uh, Called Off the Hook. Oh, you should know, perhaps, that buster... Uh, had his hand bit off by a seal, a loose seal that had a a bow tie on it. So it had a hook for a while. Uh, Buster struggles to make it on his own and break away from his overbearing mother. Uh, He is distraught over Lucille in prison, so moves in with Lucille too, uh, who I mentioned, played by... Liza Minnelli sort of uh, replaces one Lucille for another. Uh, Eventually starts to lose his mind. (laughs) 
and uh, rejoins the army. Oh yeah, he was in the army too. Rejoins the army, and because of his sort of total naivete, not knowing what is going on around him, uh, they hook him up as a drone pilot. He is not aware that what is going on on screen is actually happening in real life. He thinks he's playing a video game. When he finds out that he's been killing people, he is not too uh, happy and just friggin' loses it. Uh, the army, realizing they've made a mistake by not telling him these are real people, decides to give him a new hand. So, uh, the army apparently has the ability to make a totally lifelike looking hand, sort of animatronic, mechanical. However, uh, still in sort of the initial stages of this technology, so the sort of uh, miniaturization that happens uh, with technologies has not quite yet happened. So his hand, his hand is probably, if I had to put a number on it, three times the size of a normal hand. The thereabouts. Monstrously large, monstrously strong. Uh, he's being sort of discharged from the army at this point, and he's got nowhere to go. He comes across the wife of the politician, played by Terry Crews, who uh, feels very bad for him, and they basically start to... Uh, I wasn't quite sure if they're living together or just spending a lot of time together at this point, uh, and then eventually has an affair with the politician's wife? No. Uh, it was Buster who put the politician in a coma, I should mention, at this point. Okay, so that leads us to the final episode. This is the final episode, got a little bit of everybody, but it's kind of a George Michael episode, kind of, sort of, kind of, sort of. George Michael and Michael. Yeah, let's just say, because it kind of makes sense, the last episode, a little bit of everybody, little bit of wrapping up of everybody. And I want to under-end... Under-end? Well, yeah, I want to under-end. I also want to underline that it is just a little bit of wrapping up everybody. Uh, George Michael tries to reconnect with his father, but is finding himself overwhelmed by the responsibility of running his business. Uh, so Rebel, Ron Howard's illegitimate daughter, who is played by the super, super, super attractive... Uh, Isla Fisher, uh, this is a name that I didn't recognize. I did recognize her, but not her name. So if you type this in, I'm sure you'll probably recognize her. Google her, if you will. I wouldn't mind Googling her. <laughs> uh, uh, so this rebel character is dating uh, Michael Bluth, as well as dating George Michael. Hmm. They, at first, don't realize this fact. Eventually... Michael does realize this fact when he sees a picture of them together and sorts of sort of puts two and two together because they both know that Rebel is dating someone else, just not who it is. Uh, then Michael knows and doesn't say anything to George Michael. Mm -hmm, that's not good. Uh, George Michael moves into Sudden Valley with all the sex offenders living there. Uh, if you are familiar with Michael Sarah, you will know that despite that, despite the fact that he is. Not old, but, you know, he's, what, in his 20s or 30s? He's got a, got a bit of a baby face, so they're all very happy to uh, see him move in. 
<laughs> they keep giving him uh, the game Twister. The, I don't know if, I don't think you'd call it a board game, but, you know, the game, Twister. He's got, like, 20 copies of the game. Uh, so, Job was sort of put in charge of having this wall built between Mexico and uh, the U.S. The only people he could afford, or find, that he thought he could afford to have it built were... Uh, well, first he was going to have Chinese people build it, because, as you know, they they build great walls, those Chinese. However, uh, eventually had to settle for uh, Mongolians to build them. A Mongolian horde. Because, why a horde? Because that was the minimum number he could, um, he could hire in order to build this wall. So there's that fact, the, Mon the angry Mongolian horde. Then, other things at the end of this episode are that George Michael found out his dad was also dating Rebel. Uh, that fact didn't upset him so much the fact that he found out as well that uh, Michael knew he was sort of the, the other man. So that ended their relationship with a punch to the face. Very, very anti-violence, uh, anti George Michael. So it was... Uh, to see him punch anyone, let alone his father. And then, lastly, left with disappearance, possible death of Lucille too. So, uh, left a lot of things open, that final episode. So, so basically what we've got not finished are uh, an angry Mongolian horde, um, a son punching his father in the nose for dating the same woman, and the possible death of a woman. A woman who may or may not have been killed by Buster? Hmm? That's kind of what we're led to believe. He, he's, he's at the very least being framed for it, if he didn't outright do it, if she is in fact dead. So, so kind of say all that with the thought that uh, what I have heard sort of around and about that uh, they they left it open like this so they could create a Arrested Development movie. Hmm. Which I can guarantee, which I can guarantee it, I will watch and bring back on a movie Monday if it ends up existing. Uh, they could, I guess, with all those cliffhangers, do a whole new season too. I would not mind that. So that, my friends ends this episode i hope you enjoyed all the arrested development talks and why don't i leave off by saying as i always do it is nice to be nice to the nice thank you for listening this has been another edition of the lackadaisical libra cubicle wrist we here in the liberal cube would love to hear from you if for any reason you would like to contact us, you can do so via the email address, mailwood.jordan at gmail.com. And now I have a theory. I've got a theory that it's a demon, a dancing demon. Something isn't right there. I've got a theory. The best is yet to come, and babe, won't it be fine? You think? You've seen the sun, but you ain't seen it shine. Wait till the warm-up's underway. Wait till our lips have met. Wait till you see that sunshine day. 